Well, good morning. He is risen. All right. Let's start it off right. Would you join me in prayer, please? Lord, we thank you. We thank you. You are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. Again, we say you are worthy. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. What more can be said than he's worthy, huh? Um, now, how many of you, when you come into church on Easter, have an expectation? Raise your hand. Come on. <laughs> All right. And you have an anticipation for that expectation, correct? You, you kind of know what you're going to get. You're hoping you know what you can get. And we all have an idea of what that might look like. And, and we know why we're here, most of us, and, and what Easter is truly about. But I grew up in a Christian home, and I had my expectations and anticipations about Easter. And they were kind of embedded in me. Um, it's what I was taught. Didn't know any better, right? And, um, but one of the things that you see in our culture all over the place representing Easter is what? Eggs. The bunny, right? I hate bunnies. If you love bunnies, I'm sorry, but I don't like them. I'll tell you why. Two reasons. One, Monty Python search for the Holy Grail. There you go. You seen that? You know why I don't like bunnies. Two, 1986, Seattle, Washington. I was four years old, and my dad was a pastor at a church called Wedgwood Baptist Church. And every Halloween, instead of having Halloween parties, they would have costume parties. And so I was really excited. I get a, I, I'm going to get a cool costume. Like even at four, you're excited about that kind of thing. And my mom, she made all our costumes. My mom made me a bunny costume. <laughs> and I had a picture of it. I have a picture of it. And I, I was going to bring it, and I thought, why would I do that to myself? <laughs> so I'm not going to show it to you, but I'll describe it to you. I, was, I walked in, my brother and I are little bunnies, my mom's a mom bunny and has a little bunny in the oven. And I thought, now I'm four years old, so when my mom walks out of her room, dressed up as a bunny, looking like she's carrying a baby, you know, I don't know nine months, you know, I don't know that time frame, I thought I was getting a little sister that I've been wanting for so long, four years, right? And I, you know, it was just, it was just part of the costume, and I'm sitting on the stage in the big church hall, dressed like a bunny, a blue bunny, slouched, one ear down, one ear up, a pink nose, whiskers, with my two best friends. One is Rambo, and the other's a ninja. And I'm a bunny. So every time Easter comes around, what do I see? Bunnies everywhere. And then you have bunny mascots. And they're not cute. Those things are creepy, aren't they? And then they just remind me of why I don't like bunnies. But we know that's not why we celebrate Easter, right? We know why we're here. We're here because we have new life through Jesus. What he did not only on the cross, but what he did in the grave. And when we talk about expectation, when we talk about anticipation... When we look in Scripture, we see that the Jews had an expectation and were anticipating a specific kind of Messiah, a specific kind of Savior. Messiah just simply means anointed, the anointed one. And Pastor Mark did a, a great job Friday night at the Good Friday service unpacking 
um, when Jesus was anointed um, with this wonderful nard smelling stuff, and he, he brought it, and everyone was smelling it. And it's interesting how everyone had a different understanding of what it smelled like to them. I thought it smelled like cheese. Someone else was like cookies. You know, it was weird. But Jesus was anointed with this stuff, and it was really expensive, and so it really means the anointed, right? Messiah means the anointed. But the Jews missed it. So Jesus was anointed. We see it there. But they had their own expectation, their own anticipation, and they thought the Messiah would be one that came in power and authority to bring peace and prosperity amongst the Jews. It was a nationalistic understanding, right? It was for the Jews. And this Messiah was going to save them from Rome. So when Jesus came on the scene and people were identifying him as the Messiah, a lot of the Jews were like, no, this doesn't meet the expectation. This doesn't, this doesn't meet what we thought he would be. So they rejected him. Many of them rejected him. And we talked last week on Palm Sunday that when Jesus came down into Jerusalem, he came in humility. And so people go, that's not the, they can't be the Messiah. But yet he comes with this entrance and this reception of people that did very specific and deliberate things that we may just cast aside as that's what they had. For example, when he came down on a donkey, they put cloaks on the ground for him to go over. They put palm branches on the ground for him to walk on. And they were waving them. And these things were deliberate things because in that culture, the, the garments and the robes thrown down meant that they were yielding and submitting to whom they identified as king. That was a cultural thing, to identify submission to the king. So they're saying, this is the king we've been waiting for, many of them. And then the palm branches being a sign, a um, national sign of um, victory and authority. Yeah. And so we see that Jesus represents all these things that are specifications according to the Jews, but it didn't come in the package they thought. And when we come to Easter, we think, you know what? I'm going to sit down and we're going to hear the resurrection story, right? I mean, how many of that you were expecting that today? We're going to talk about his resurrection, the empty tomb. Raise your hand. It's okay, right? I was until last week, right? Well, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open them, please. And if you have your Bible on your, um, your iPad or your iPhone or your um, whatever phone, I hope they've got so many now, um, go ahead and take that out. And we're going to look in Romans chapter 5 today. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, and we'll go through verse 8. And so we can talk about the resurrection, but we know that happened, right? We know it. So what do we need to understand about it? What do we truly need to see within it that sometimes we don't see? Or pay enough attention to because we've heard it so many times. So starting in verse 1, chapter 5, Paul says this, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Pay attention to this, please. Verse 2. Through him, we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. 
Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Who did he die for? Well, sinners. I think we, we skip over that part. We say it, right? But sometimes I think we feel, we posture ourselves in such a way that we still have to earn something. That we still have to make up for something because of what Jesus did. And I think oftentimes we lose the whole point of this, which is, is that he sees every single person. He says, it's not, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the who? The sick. And he goes after those people and he died for every one of those people, every single one of us. And we forget that grace is the center of all of this. Now, grace is not necessarily a condoning word. So let's not misinterpret that. It doesn't mean we just let people get away with everything, right? Oh, we're going to show them grace and let them do whatever they want. No, sometimes grace is giving a hard word when a hard word is needed. Okay? But standing in that grace, what does that look like? How do we do that? How do we see that it's... that? We as sinners are worth it. Because that's how Jesus sees it. And Mark said this on Friday, that we're worth it. No matter what we've done or said in the past, we're worth it. And that's what we hear in Romans that Jesus died for, because we are worth it. But we have this understanding that even those of us who are still Christians kind of posture ourselves like we still got to earn it. We got to do things for God. I mean, I do that. I feel like if I don't read my Bible a certain way sometimes, I'm not doing it right. And I'm falling out of alignment with who God is. Is that right? No. But I still posture myself in that way. There was a movie that came out uh, several years ago, and and most of you know it, but if you don't, there are going to be some spoilers. And so I'll tell you when it's earmuff time, okay? But Saving Private Ryan, who's seen Saving Private Ryan? Okay. How many cried during Save Private Ryan? Seriously, just a few of you? I don't believe it. I weeped like a baby in that movie. But the movie follows a group of guys in World War II, and they've, they are, um, it's D-Day, and they're storming the beach of Normandy, and they have specific orders, which is the title. They are to save a, a man named Private Ryan. And they don't know why this guy's so special. But those who are watching, you find out that he had had four brothers killed in combat, and he was the last of his, his mom's children. So the military's like, we can't wipe out this family. we got to go get this guy. So Tom Hanks, who's the head of this unit, takes them across great distance to find this guy, and they're losing guys on the way. They don't know if it's worth it. It doesn't feel that way. And then they finally find him. And... Ryan is played by Matt Damon. Matt Damon's like, no way am I going. I am serving. I'm not abandoning my group of guys. It's not happening. And Tom Hanks says, it's happening. 
Right? We've come this far to bring you out of harm's way. And so there's a, there's a moment, there's a scene in the movie towards the end. Now, spoiler alert, so earmuffs here, where Tom Hanks gets shot. And he's dying. And you know the big speech is coming, right? I mean, those of you that watch a lot of movies, you know this is the time. Something inspiring is going to happen. And to most people, it probably would seem inspiring. But those of us who know the power and the truth of who Jesus is in our lives, this is not so inspiring. And so they're holding, they're trying to defend this one bridge so the Germans can't cross over into this town. And so he gets shot and and Ryan's there. And Tom Hanks says something to him. Take a look. What, sir? Yes. so glad we don't have to hear those words. I'm so glad we don't have to hear those words. It's interesting because we live this way. We live this way of earn it, don't we? It's just kind of ingrained in us. I have a, a younger brother. He's uh, two years younger than me, and, and he's a very gifted and, and interesting individual who I, whom I love dearly, but growing up with him was very challenging because I was very extroverted, and he's a big-time introvert, and so he's always like playing in the corner of his room. And I always wanted him to do stuff with me. Like, go, go play, go do stuff. And he would be like, no, I don't want to. So, of course, what does a good big brother do? He teases him until he cries and then hates him and is resentful of him. And then he never plays with him, right? <laughs> that was my brilliant tactic. And it did not work ever. But he, he was very quiet at school, but yet he was a leader. It was weird. And I wanted to be on the in crowd because I was that shallow, and, and seriously, I mean, I would do anything. It was just I wanted to be noticed in, in all the right ways. And my brother, he would come to school like cowboy boots and army fatigues, and I'm like, what are you doing? And he would, he would befriend all the people that I try to stay away from. And we would call them the least of these, right? The people, the outcasts, the ones that are are, are, feel brokenhearted and this and that, not realizing I myself was one, which is why I was trying so hard to be something else, right? Many of us fall into that. And so he would hang out with these guys, and I could not stand these guys. And so when I saw him at school, I'd be, hey, Brooks, and I would walk away because I didn't want to talk to these guys. And then I would go home, and they'd be in my house. They'd all be sitting in my living room, playing video games and stuff, eating all our food, and I got really resentful. And I could not stand being at home because these guys were there. But he had this ability to see things in people that other people cannot see. He could see the heart and he would go after it. But I would be like, no, they haven't earned it. They haven't earned my trust. They haven't done anything to earn the kind of hospitality they're getting from my family. My mom would take these guys in like they were her own. And my dad would be like, 
Yeah, whatever she says. <laughs> you know, you'd roll with it. And I would just be like, get them out. Get them out. They're just bothering me. And she would always say to me, but that's not the grace of Jesus. Aren't you glad he doesn't throw you out? Now, if my brother said that to me or someone else, I'd be like, you're stupid. Shut up. I'm not saying that to my mom. <laughs> when my mom says something like that, that stings. That cuts to the quick. And at that moment, the Lord started opening up things in my life to, to love these guys. And I had to be intentional about it because it did not come naturally to me. I didn't look at these guys going, man, I love them. No, they were a nuisance. I did not like them. And I, I remember my brother brought in the one guy that was the worst of them all. He was a, he was a skinhead. He would put people in the hospital. He said atheists, all this stuff. Hated God, hated Christians, but yet he's in our house every day. And I'm like, I would watch him like a hawk, too. Like, I didn't trust this guy, right? Especially mama's in the house, you know? <laughs> I'm on guard. I'm a little bit of a mama's boy, so I'm like, no, you know, so I'm like, what are you doing here? Why are you here? How long are you going to be here? You know, like he's dating my daughter or something. And so eventually he started coming to youth group. And I'm in trouble when my daughter starts dating, by the way, so you'll be praying for me ahead of time. <laughs> and so this guy started coming to our youth group where I was helping out and stuff. And, and he would start talking to me about and asking me questions about faith. And I'm like, I don't even want to talk to this guy. Well, first off, he's way smarter than me. So I just felt dumb every time I was talking to him. You throw out words that, you know, you didn't, they just were sounds to you. Have you ever heard those? Like someone says a word and you're like, that's not even English. That's not even a language, you know. And so he would throw out all these things and somehow God was giving me an ability to understand his points and what he was trying to say. And the long story short was that he asked me, would you, would you meet with me every week? And I'm going, no way. And I was like, I'm about to say no way. And I'm like, yeah, sure. And I went, what? <laughs> That's not what I wanted to say. But the Lord was working something in me. And so eventually we end up at this wonderful restaurant that's not here yet. I'm hoping that it makes the West Coast, that you, you two know exactly what I'm about to say. Soup Plantation. It's this wonderful Salabar place. It's like paradise for salad and, um, and soups. And so we were, I'm overselling it, sorry. And so we're sitting there and I'm just eating and, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like just like ready to be done. I'm tired and all. And he looks at me, and he's a big guy. He was like 500 pounds. Big dude. Tall, just big guy. And he kind of hits the table. In, um, I'm not going to hit that hard. I don't want that to break. But he hit it, and you know the, the uh, silverware kind of bounces up a little bit, and you kind of get startled. And I'm like, what? And he goes, when are you going to ask me? And I said, you want more salad? <laughs> I'm like, ask you what? If I'm ready to step in the presence of Jesus. Now, that took me off, uh, just off guard. And guilt and shame crept in. And I'm like, okay, this is not a healthy way to respond. But I said, right now, this, this was my whole plan. So I wasn't saying much. I was just nervous to ask you. You know, I'm making up all this stuff. Because I felt so dumb because I couldn't see what was happening right in front of me. And to this day now, he's a full-blown follower of Jesus who... Um, um, is, is doing all kinds of mission work in his community, just a great guy and lover of Jesus. And I thought, if, I wasn't, if God didn't usher me to a place where I could see his heart, because I, I began to, and then after that we became fast friends, and 
really enjoyed being in his presence and this and that. And that was honestly happening before he made that choice, which is why, you know, I liked him every time we were meeting. But if God didn't, if I didn't allow God to take me to that place, that may not have happened. And I thought, well, you'd think that that situation would teach me to see the heart, to see what Jesus sees in sinners, why he died for us, why we're worth it. And I thought, that's all it took. I'm good. I can see the heart of anyone. Well, it's not true. Um, a couple months ago, I was asked to do prison ministry. And I got, I, I, just being asked, I was petrified. I was petrified. Because I found, if I'm being honest with you, inside I'm going, no. They're there for a reason. <laughs> you know, that indignant, you know, ignorant kind of mentality. But I knew the Lord wanted me to go, so I was like, okay, I'll go. I really don't want to go, but I'll go. And I'm sitting there with a, a group from Bridgewood, and we're sitting in the security place for like two hours, it felt like. And I'm getting nervous and nervous and more nervous and more nervous and more nervous as each minute passes. And I don't, I don't get nervous to speak in front of people, but I was petrified this day. I didn't know what I was walking into. I didn't know how they'd receive me. I didn't know how I'd receive them. And so we walk about a quarter mile or something like that across the compound. And I see, and we're kind of late, so um, the, the, the inmates were getting really restless. And I look, I look outside the building. It's a building about this side and, size. And I can see the guys looking out the window in anticipation for what's going to happen. And now I see a face to my fear, and now I'm even more freaked out than I was before. And then as soon as we step in, you have all these guys rushing us saying, what do you need? What do you need? We're so glad you're here. And this and that. I'm going, whoa, not what I expected. I've watched too many movies, right? And so I, I thought it was going to be kind of an intimate group, but it was a, a room this size and there were 300 men starving for hope. And it was hard to be in there and not sob. And I hadn't even talked to anybody yet. It was hard not, or it's hard to be in there and not be heartbroken. And not because I necessarily felt bad for them, but because I missed it. I missed what this day is all about. Jesus saying, you are worth it, and I see you, and now I'm going to give you everything I have, so you will never, ever, ever have to be separated from me and my love and my grace. Ever. And I got up there, and it was probably the most fun I've ever had preaching the word in my entire life. I had so much fun because for the first time, for the first time in my life, I think I finally got it. I think I finally understood because I was so protected. I never had to be in that kind of environment. I never had to be with the least of these in that capacity. And I was heartbroken because I wanted to just sit there with them afterwards and pray and pray and pray and pray until God said we were done. But the security guards ushered us out right away. And guys were throwing prayer requests at us, throwing their names at us so that we would pray for them. And as soon as I got home, I began to weep. I'm like, what am I doing here? I need to get back in there. I need to be with these people. And then you begin to understand why Jesus spent his time with the sinners. Because he saw what we fail to see most of the time. He saw the heart that's worth it. He saw the heart that he bled for and he raised for. 
Because sometimes we spend too much time in the death of Christ and not enough time in the resurrection of Christ. If he died and did not raise, then he's just a prophet and a martyr. But he conquered death so that we would never have to taste it. And he did it for us because he loves us, because he says we're worth it. He never, ever, ever says to us, earn this. You got to earn this. You know, it's a sad scene at the end of that movie because it shows Ryan um, in his later years with his wife there, and he's at the tombstone of Tom Hanks' character, and he says, I've done everything I can to earn it, and he still doesn't know if he did. How heart-wrenching is that? That in itself should show you the truth in Jesus and his authority and his divinity and who he is because he says, I'm not going to leave you that way. In fact, I'm never going to leave you because I've conquered death so that we can be together forever, so that we can have relationship forever. Jesus only spoke a few sentences when he was on the cross. Just a few. And when he was being mocked, when he was um, being spit upon, he never said, you guys are going to have to earn this. Never said that. He said, God, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. If that is not grace, I don't know what is. And when we look in this passage in verse 2, I don't want you to read this. Go home and read this. It's through Christ Jesus through whom we have gained access, complete access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Stand. We got to stop trying to earn it and receive it. You can't buy it. You can't manufacture it, and you can't earn God's grace. You can only believe and accept and receive it. We have to. If we don't, we're the agents of his name, of that grace. And if we don't step into that, we cannot see what he sees in the least of these. And we are all amongst the least of these. We're worth it. If you want to know how to stand in his grace, you have to know you're worth it. So many of us have been told that we're not, and that is a lie. And I break that off in the name of Jesus. I break that off of you in the name of Jesus. You are worth it. To say you're not is to say his grace is cheap, and I refuse to do that. We get to stand in his grace and minister to the people that need to know the same thing. So when we talk about Easter, my prayer for us is that this is not a a once-a-year thing. This is an everyday thing, that every day we celebrate Easter, which is celebrating the salvation and the grace that we have in Christ Jesus. Every day, our lives should be an example of standing in that grace. Does that mean we'll be perfect at it? No, but we're standing in grace. We don't have to be perfect, but we need to stay with him. We need to continue to engage him. We need to, it says right here, stand with him. And then we rejoice in the hope. Because where there's grace, there's what? Hope. Some of us here need hope. 
And we know people that need to hear hope. And there is hope because Jesus says we are what? Worth it. And someone needs to hear that from you. That's our charge. That's a blessing. It's not to preach at them. It's to show them. It's to show them the love and grace in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we honor you and we glorify you. For you truly are worthy, worthy, worthy. Worthy are you, Lord. Worthy are you, Lord. Worthy. We thank you that you see us. We thank you that you call us by name. We thank you that we can stand here in your grace and say that you are worth it. That we are worth it. All of it. It's worth it. And so I pray as we step into this time of offering and then more worship. And I pray, Lord, that we would um, approach you with trust. That as we give, we give with trust, whether it be finances, whether it be time, whether it be relationships, that we would trust you and step into your grace in the midst of those things. Lord, some of us here need, need that word of hope, and so I pray that they would receive it. I pray that where there's doubts and there's fear and there's maybe anger towards you, that you would speak life and healing into those places in Jesus' name. We pray that we would, you would continue to release in this place your blessing of joy, your blessing of your grace and your mercy, and your blessing of authentic relationship. And so we pray that as we um, step into this time of worship, that we would worship you in spirit and truth as you deserve. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The ground began to shake, the storm was rolled away.